Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 240 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to open up today's show with a quote from photographer Harold Feinstein. Photography has been my way of bearing witness to the joy I find in seeing the extraordinary in ordinary. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. hope you are too. Well, I I say well, it's been a tumultuous time in the UK. As you know, I'm always advocating for starting things with a lightning bolt opening and... Our new Prime Minister has certainly done that. She's managed to shock everyone and she's certainly grabbed the whole world's attention. Now she is definitely, Liz Truss, trying to cultivate a brand that brings back memories of Margaret Thatcher. In fact, I did a LinkedIn post not so long ago that showed an image of her and Maggie side by side And Liz Truss had chosen an almost identical outfit to one of the most well-known photos of Margaret Thatcher. She was clearly trying that branding by association. And it's true that whether you realize it or not, a lot of the heavy lifting for your brand is done by the image you present to your target audience offstage. People not only look at your credentials and your experience, but also your photo to gauge how you come across and whether you'll be a right fit for them or their audience, even if they're doing that subconsciously. And that profile picture of you is often the start of the know, like, trust journey. And it's important that you don't fall at the first hurdle. So as well as investing in developing your content and speaking skills, you also need to pay attention to your photo as another marketing asset. That's why I've brought Marcus Ahmad onto the show. He started his career in fashion photography, leading shoots across the globe, including Paris, New York and London. Oh, how glamorous. And from there, he became a professor of photography, teaching today's hot shots how to capture, well, the hot shot. And more recently, though, What he's switched into doing is working with speakers and coaches and businesses uh, and to specialize in commercial branding shoots. And he's here on the show today to help you nail your brand photos and more. Well, enough of the chit chat from me. Let's switch over to the interview right now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Marcus Ahmad. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to this. You're more than welcome. Um, we've, this has been in the making for a little while, so I'm really pleased to finally have you on. Let's, I mean, I've told them a little bit about what you do, but okay. can you share with me and everyone else how you ended up doing what you do today? 
Gosh, okay. It's uh, I'll keep it short because I'm obviously very old and I've been around and I've done lots of different things, so I'll keep it short. But basically, I started off doing music, um, and then in my late uh, 20s, early 30s, I suddenly got the calling for photography. Um, I was a session player playing on people's records, and I really enjoyed playing on people's songs, but I wanted to do something where I was a bit more in control myself. And I was searching around for something. I thought, I can't sing, I can't write a song. And I got myself a camera and that my world has suddenly changed. I put this box to my eye and I, rem I remember looking back on it, the feeling, and now I can identify it. And I think I really found a way of seeing the world that I could contain it within a box, if that sort of makes sense. I guess it's just of putting a bit of order in the world. Anyhow, I started on my journey of photography and I thought, this is what I want to do next. So I, 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 I knew I needed to educate myself. So I went off to uh, university, studied at Brighton, um, did my degree in editorial photography. From there, I did another three or four years assisting an advertising photographer who was very successful at the time, Paul Reese. Um, and we did some sort of amazing campaigns, Sarah, amazing big campaigns big budgets, lots of fun, big teams of people. And then um, after doing that, which is a very traditional route for a photographer to sort of learn learn the ropes, learn the business. After that, I set on my own path, becoming a fashion photographer. Um, so I was working with modeling agencies in the UK. I had a studio in London. I started working over in America, New York, LA, and then Paris. And it all started to build and build. And it was great fun. I had a great time doing it, about 10 years. And then I got offered a job, um, this was in London, then I got offered a job down here in, Brist in, in Cardiff, actually, at a, being a senior lecturer in fashion and advertising photography at a university on a BA programme. And it was something I was very passionate about teaching. So I thought, this is great. This is going to be a new something different, something new I could explore. So I moved down to here, moved to Bristol, worked in Cardiff for about eight years on this university course. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. But I did miss taking photographs. Of course, the glass is always greener in it. I miss taking photographs. So, I, um, so a friend of mine said to me, "Well, what you know?" I, I, I thought I can't. I don't really want to go back to doing fashion because I would mean going back to London. So a friend of mine said, "What about doing this new branding photography?" And I'd never heard of it. But once I found more about what branding photography was, working with businesses, and it was like a culmination of my fashion photography and the advertising side coming together, making people look good and selling their services. That's what I got into. That's about three years ago. And of course, we all know what happened three years, well, two years ago, COVID hit, oh, no. bit of a downtime. But nevertheless, we got through that, built up my network. And that's how I met you, networking, of course. Yeah. And here I am now as a branding photographer. That's that fantastic. It sounds like a brilliant journey. And I think you mentioned, you touched on the music, but you didn't say exactly what instrument you play. So um, if you want to share share that. Yeah. A, a bass player, the easy one. That's right. I know it's only got four strings. Yeah, I know. An easy <laughs> instrument to learn, but a difficult one to master. That's what I always like to think. And you're still performing today, aren't you? 45 years since I've been playing. So, yeah, still playing today in a wedding band, doing funk music, playing it mainly during the summer, having a great time with a seven-piece wedding uh, funk band with horn section and all that. Really good wow. fun. Yeah. That sounds cool. Thank you. That sounds brilliant. And so tell me, tell me, people wouldn't forgive me if I didn't um, just touch back on the 
you know, the fashion photography, uh-huh. how, cause you know, there's such a glamorous image of, you know, these fashion shows and is it as glamorous as it's portrayed and, and what's your sort of most memorable fashion shoot? It is glamorous. It is glamorous. That's why I went into it. I like the glamour, the partying and all that side of it. It's a lot of responsibility as well. When I was shooting, a lot of it was on film and it was really stressful to make sure you've got campaigns that were quite a few, quite a lot of money being put into them. Big teams of people, models, producers, stylists, hairdressers, makeup, and they're all relying on you to get this shot and, so and you don't know until you've got it on film until you get two days later, you get it back from the lab. So it's all, that's the pressure side of it. Luckily, it all works out quite well. These days, it's a bit easier on digital, I have to say. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good fun. Something I look back fondly is maybe a shoot I did in New York in a really lovely studio called Daylight Studios. And I remember it distinctly um, because we decided that it was the sun was going to, setting down in New York and it was all glowing. And we went onto the rooftop and I, we did a few shots in the rooftop. And I remember looking around thinking, wow, this is particularly very, this is a very nice moment. That I do remember that one. Have you collected some of those images together in like your own sort of, I mean, I know photographers have a portfolio, but your like yes. favourite images from your career and stuff like that. I, I have done. I've got, I, you know, I must admit, I've got boxes downstairs, boxes, yellow boxes full of contact seats and, and negatives and prints. But I'm a commercial photographer and we have a habit of not looking in the past. We always look for the next job. That is that is commercial photography. It's like, okay, I've done that. What's next? That yeah. is very much me. So yeah, I don't go reminisce too much. Okay. And I just re- it just hit me. You're absolutely right. It didn't, I don't know why it hasn't occurred to me before, but it's so much easier today for photographers than it was because it was all, you know, literally in the dark until that yeah, photo got right. developed. You didn't know. Right. So the whole thing could have been a waste of money if you hadn't got the right shot. So that's much more pressure. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I, I mean, when you show Polaroid, so you get you get an indication, you get your assistant to put the Polaroid under the arm about a minute, and you'd open it, you think, oh, is it right? So that gives you an indication, but you never knew really. No, it's a lot more. But these these days, what that means is these days, so digitally, you can up your game, you can afford to take more risks. Yeah, which potentially might lead to some more interesting stuff coming out yeah, at the other end. I agree. More creativity, I think, really, as a result of that. Excellent. Okay, now I did a bit of digging around and I noticed that you argue that the single image is more powerful than the moving image. Why do you think that's true? Oh, yes, that's a, I'm bad to that, aren't I? Do you know what? I was on a networking meeting this morning and I was speaking to a videographer and I said that to him and he did agree with me and he, he understood totally what I was on about. So hopefully it's not just my point of view. But anyway, with a photograph, a single image, I think you get more involved in it because you bring your own story to it. Everybody sees a photograph in a different way. We bring our own history into it. Whereas a video, I would argue, is more prescriptive. It's got a beginning, it's got a middle and an end. And the the story is more told by the producer or the actors in it. With a photograph, the story comes from within. And therefore, I think it's got more of a hold. That's my opinion, anyhow. There was that old, you know, that old thing, thing we said, there was a burning house. They'd always rescue their photo collection, wouldn't it? Because it's irreplaceable. Yeah, it's true. It is true, actually. And I understand what you're saying. I think, and, you know, there's there's definitely 
looking back at some of those photos from wars and stuff like that mm. and i remembering mm. that photo mm. of the the little boy that washed up on the beach yeah. it doesn't need words sometimes it just is so powerful if captured the right way it can really just hit you right in the heart i think our memories are single frames aren't they almost our dreams are very small vignettes aren't they single i think there's something that does tie into our subconscious on a subconscious level to it I mean, you obviously work in the medium where you're doing video and having photographs taken. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, um, well, what I say is also is that I teach people to create images with words or, you know, certainly allow people with through words and through the description and through, you know, a bit of body language to create that image so that they can access that in their memory. Because I think that's what you're saying as well is seeing an image will get you to access things that are similar for you in some ways. And I think that's the, that's the aim is to sort of bring your audience with you. I think video is very powerful too. Um, But I think you're right. It's more, you know, it is more sort of telling the story than allowing the viewer to create their own story. It's like the difference between reading a book and watching a movie. That's why so many people will have a favorite book and then yes. go to the see the movie and be disappointed because the it, the characters don't live up to the characters they created in their mind's eye of what you know. So I think you know there's some truth to it, but uh, I think you video ex- certainly has its place. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, but you explained it very well. That's a very good analogy. I really like that. I remember that one. Yes. So there we go. So yeah, I'm I'm obviously very passionate about photography in all its forms. You know, being yeah. a senior lecturer. Even though mum is a fashion course, I taught into documentary art photography courses as well. So I've got, I'd like to think a good knowledge of the history of the subject, which I think is very important. That's where you get your ideas from, or I get my ideas from as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, they do say there's nothing new under the sun. You're just putting two things together, like two old things to create a new thing. Okay. Now, the other thing that I was interested in um, is is something else that you, you talk about is how, you know, how does someone's marketing plan influence the way that you take a branding photograph? Mm, That's a good question. Obviously, my background in advertising taught me a lot about how a single image can get across a lot of information. And I try and keep that aesthetic idea into my, when I'm working with my clients. Um, When I work with my clients, I dig deep and I really find out what is special to them, what makes them unique. What can I capture? Where's, where's the story? What's interesting about them? And and that helps give me the, uh, then formulate the ideas to create an image that hopefully within one image tells them, tells the story to the viewer, everything they need to know about them. And it's sometimes quirky things. Like I'll give you an example. I'm photographing a lady tomorrow who's an NLP practitioner, but she was telling me when a meeting, oh, she used to be an art student and she was really into making things out of um, uh, iron, welding things and grinding things. So I said, oh, we've got to do a photograph with you at an angle grinder with the flame shooting off. And she loved it. And, you know, that would be visually, I could see you could have t- text to it. There'd be a lot of space to it at nighttime. It would look great on a website. So those kind of ideas really trigger when somebody says something about themselves. And it's authentic. It's her as well. So, you know, it makes it a bit more beyond just a boring headshot. Absolutely. And I think I think there's also the other side to this, which is it's, it's bringing them out so that they are talking to the right audience. 
you know, because I, th- I think that's something I've read as well. It's just certainly with when you're dealing with businesses rather than individuals is like uh, you you suggested in you know certainly what I've read that you've got to have the image that aligns with the person that you're looking to attract. Exactly. And that takes time and it takes working with people. It's like, having, you know, when we were kids, we, we went and had our school photo taken, you know, which is a lineup of people, isn't it? And you've got 10 seconds and there you are. You gave a cheesy grin. Right. Who's next? That, I would say, is not authentic. That is probably not capturing that child, the nature of that child at that particular time. When I work with my clients, I'd like to work them ideally for a minimum of an hour, sometimes, you know, up to three hours to really just get people comfortable, to find out about them and to get their personality really across and their uniqueness to get to get that across as well. Excellent. Cool. It's amazing when you photograph, Sarah, when I do even just a simple head portrait and I shoot really quickly, you know, bang, bang, bang. Every frame is different. Every frame looks different. And it's like, God, which one is the real you? Which one is the you, you you want to portray to your audience? They all look different. Yeah, absolutely. And okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, we, we've had a little chat about backgrounds and Zoom backgrounds before we started recording. Yes. But uh, how how important is the background in your headshot and why? Gosh, that, that is a very interesting question. Obviously, it's got a yes and no answer. In some ways, it's not important at all. You won't be able to focus on the person. But in other ways, it's the most important thing because it can distract from the person. If you're doing a headshot, you've got to look at yourself. Let's say I, um, I did a talk last week to lawyers up in London about how to use their camera phones to promote their brand. And they always want to know, how do you do the selfie? And my, and my take on doing a selfie is very different to what you might see in YouTube or whatever. But first of all, you want to look for the light. Look for a, a dull day like it is down here in Bristol is perfect. You don't want it too sunny or too bright. We call that diffused lighting. That's going to give you the most flattering look. And then you, for your headshot, you want to be getting the background to be as distracting as possible. So a, a neutral colour, ideally maybe even a brown colour would be nice. Like you've got a, a wall that might be painted in your office, your brown colour. That'd be perfect. And you've got a, you've got a double message going across. But go in nice and tight with your headshot, with your portrait. So there's not too, you know, you're really focusing on the eyes. It's all about the eyes. And finally, to stop to stop the scroll, as people say, which is, you know, you're scrolling for LinkedIn or whatever, and there's loads of little profile photos. You've got, they're like the size of a one penny piece sometimes, aren't they? You want to stand out. And the way you can do that is using, again, it's, it's lighting. I use flash lighting um, to, to, when I photograph. And it gives the subject more contrast. What I might mean by that is more shadow and more highlights. And that's what catch that's where your eye is drawn to, highlights and shadow. So it makes your makes my sitters stand out in a in in, in this sort of big long list of profile photos. Okay, that was a very long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry. Perfect. That's really helpful. So make sure it's not distracting. Make yes. sure the light's right. Yes. If you've got a logo, you can use it, but it, as long as it doesn't distract, I think you know that's yeah. Or, or, or a brand color would be, it would be even better. Brand so color. The, and then leaving space for the logo that you can maybe add on later. I'm with you. Cool. Yes. Okay. Good. Now the other thing that we hear a lot about today is storytelling photography. Yeah. Um, can you tell me what it's a bit more about? It is it a new thing or is it just a a, a new label on something that's been around for ages? 
gosh, you've just awakened my senior lecture mode. You've asked for it now. We're going to go back. We're going to go back in history. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> there was a photographer called Robert Frank in the 1940s and 50s who was Swiss and he went over to America to document uh, America. And he was aligned to the beat poets at the time, Kerouac, etc. And he did this book of America in black and white. And even though it sounds very obvious, at the time it was rad very radical, and it was, it was called Les Américains, it, they, it was published in, in France, and it was a story of America with each page, each photograph would reflect the photograph before it and the one that was coming next. So he was building this, this story, a visual narrative of America. This was back in the 19th, and it was the first time it had done it. It was groundbreaking. And I can't help but not think of that story when people talk to me about stories, because I think, that, yeah, there's, this, it's been done before. And I wonder if that's what people really mean. And photography is very good, it's very aligned to doing something like that, because, again, this we're talking about how images are very reflective. When you put two or three photographs together, a diptych, sorry, a diptych, that's right, the word I was looking right. for, two photographs together or three, a triptych, it builds up the story even more. It gives you more information. And look, it's debatable or arguable whether that's a true story, but it builds up a story. One photograph layered next to another. You see it a lot in religious painting in diptychs when you have on the altarpiece or triptych that face centerpiece with two portraits side by side. Oh, I'm no, I did say I did warn you. We went a bit in the old world. <laughs> no, that's old... fine. <laughs> that's fine. And how does that relate to you know when it's used today in relation to business and stuff? Mm. Is it just that old thing applied to a new context? Yeah, I, well, I, that's what I'm saying. I think it is in some ways. What's done, you know, what's gone before, we're, we're building on that. For business, we can use it. We've, got, we've, we've already talked about the profile photo. And yeah. Obviously, when people think about business photography, that's what they think about. But there's lots of other aspects. So we've got the headshot, which is the profile photo, which I, and, and I take it a step further in my studio or location. I do what I call branded, branded portraits. And all that means is I'm starting to include the hands, you know, and they might be doing something or holding an object. If you, for your, for, like for your press, profession, Sarah, you might be holding a microphone or something silly like that, and you build on that. And then you might, on top of that, have a, an environmental shot, which is a bit wider, and it might be you on stage performing in front of the audience. So you've got three different types of shots. We've got a close-up, the headshot, the portrait. We've got a branded portrait. And we've got an environmental portrait. And all three of them can work together uh, to build up your profile, to build up your business profile. Right, that makes that makes sense. So I I didn't realise that the difference, you know, branded portrait was that you see more, but obviously it makes sense. It makes sense now. You're saying that. Well, cool. It's, it's my take on it. It's my take on it, and I, you know, I just draw on my past, really. But yes, definitely. And now speakers. Um, this is the speaking club. So we have a lot of mm -hmm. uh, speakers or aspiring speakers or business owners that use speaking to grow their business. Listening when you're photographing speakers. How would you approach this type of shoot? And is there something that when, you know, people, speakers want to work with photographers, they should be paying attention to or expecting to get the best value out of the shoot? That's another great question. Thank you, Sarah. My, my niche, uh, and this is how we met, my niche is working with coaches and motivational speakers, and I've worked with a lot of them. My tagline and my business is, as I create aspirational photography for inspirational people. 
the dong. <laughs> so I think as a speaker, you want to be looked up to, don't you? You want to be seen as an authority in your business, in your field. So people would pay attention to what you say and buy into what you're, you're, you're saying. I always aim to make my speakers look aspirational, to make them look iconic. That's how I like them and, and give them some kind of gravitas. So a, a little tip you can do for that, you know, again, when you're taking your own photographs of yourself, is have the camera a little bit lower. And that way it gives you a bit more centre. You're more in the frame and people look, look are looking up to you. So that's a little trick you can use. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, and lighting it in a certain way that is quite iconic as well. So I'm drawing on those ideas. Um, so, yeah, I my main thing when I'm working with speakers is make them look aspirational. I think that's what you... I, I, I mean, what do you look for, Sarah, when, when you're to promote yourself? I think that's right. I actually hadn't thought about that, but I think um, it depends. So when, obviously, I do theatre and comedy alongside the speaking, so I think yes. it would be different. So I'd be looking for different things depending on which of those I was um, using the image for. But I think you're right. I think, you know, for a speaker, you do want an image that conveys you are in control that you are you know yes. that brings that i think that personality thing is really important still as yes. well to come through but you're right i think i love that idea of the this sort of iconic image mm. you know you've got to be able to hold a stage uh, and an audience whether that's online or in person it's a bit different to a normal business photographer uh, photograph i think so yes. it's got to have a, a bit of you know, quirkiness in there, I think, and Definitely. relating to what you talk about, I think that's going to be, that's going to be important. Um, most certainly. Interesting, what you just said there, Sarah, the fact that you got your foot on the stage and acting and also in comedy, those in some ways are two different, you would photograph somebody, I would photograph somebody differently. If you think of all the classic actor photographs, they're all very serious, aren't they? And, yeah. you know, lift, and the camera's from below and it's Hamlet or whatever it might be. And, but a comedy photograph is completely different, isn't it, of a comedian? Because sometimes they are shot from above because you want to make yourself look a little bit more insecure, yeah. depending on your act is, of course, you know. But I could see how both of those could be portrayed in different ways. Yeah, definitely. I certainly had some some uh, photos for uh, comedy shows, me in onesies and all devil horns, you know, certainly wouldn't be appropriate uh, for speaking. But um, but there we go. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm going to put you on the spot here. We've talked, we might have already covered some of this, but what tips have you got for making sure that branding photos and your LinkedIn profile as well mm. give you the best chance to stand out visually. Okay, I would look at look at your LinkedIn or your your page where it's going to be as a whole. Don't just think about the photograph. So on LinkedIn, for example, you've got the opportunity. I've got the banner at the top, and you get your profile photo, and they can they can work together. The, uh, this little trick that I do when I'm constructing LinkedIn pages for people in that I have the profile photo where you're looking ahead straight at the camera, and then the banner photo at the top you're looking sideways or not at the camera so when you look at the page you, the viewer is not you're looking straight away at the profile photo and the banner photo is making you look at the profile photo it's quite hard to explain this do, do, do you understand what i mean so the profile photo is looking straight ahead and then you yeah. might have another image in the banner that's looking at the profile photo 
that's one little trick that I, or one little thing I can play with. Um, another way is looking at the, the color, you know, think about your branding colors, get those in there, the typeface, think about what you're wearing. It all, it all adds to it. So look at the page as a whole, as a holistic thing, as opposed to just the individual photograph. That's brilliant. Thank you. And definitely, definitely at least have an image. Don't have an egg because that's just, oh, you know, because people yes. buy people, don't they? I mean, the bottom yeah. line is that's where yeah. photos become so important yeah. is because people buy people. And if if you haven't got an image on there, if you haven't got an image that brings out the things that you, your values and your sort of identity, you know, then it you'll be missing a massive opportunity or it's, you might lose customers. Exactly. It's quite a modern concept, this idea of the personal brand, isn't it, Sarah? I think, you know, when you go back to the past, it was done for pop stars or movie actors. These days, because, and I think it's due to the internet and the power, the, certainly the ubiquitous of the internet, we're all in control of the way that people perceive us. Um, and that's where this idea of the personal brand has come along. Combine that in business where, you know, we're no longer seen as cogs in the machine, we're all seen as individual assets to the company or if you're working in a company, or obviously for your own self. So this idea that personal brand is certainly becoming really resonating and becoming very popular. Yeah. And for, yeah, as for the reason you say, people buy from people. Brilliant. Okay. And then how about you? Do you, it sounds like you mentioned that you were doing a talk to some lawyers the other day. How yes. do you use speaking and storytelling to grow your business? Um, well, I do things like this podcasts i love talking to people i mean i think i i think if, if it was my superpower it would be uh small talk i'm very good at small talk <laughs> like that <laughs> excellent so, no, no depth all surface probably that's probably sums me up nicely <laughs> um uh, yeah and... I, 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 i'm teaching of course in groups sometimes and to, to, like to the lawyers i talked talked about podcasts for sure and i do workshops lighting workshops for other photographers that involve speaking and of course, when I was a lecturer, I did a, a big part of the job of speaking to a, a lot of people in the lecture halls there. So slightly, lo lo lots of different applications then. I mean, really, you know, I'm happiest behind the camera. I'll be honest. I like being behind <laughs> the camera, but, you know, but well, the needs must. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you must certainly, if you're a lecturer, you certainly have to be doing a lot of uh, speaking and keeping that engaging for students as well. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Cool. Right. I have some standard questions to ask oh, you. Oh, go on. Yeah. Before we wrap things up and we tell people okay. a bit more where they can find out more about you. Uh, you and how to work with you or whatever. So first question is, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? I would say it's given me, and I'm going to align that to playing music in a band. So I think they're both quite similar. You're on the stage. It's given me the confidence. It's given me confidence. I'm quite shy introverted normally the speaking and, and performing in front of people has given me the confidence to get out there and be seen and promote my business excellent and have you had uh, a gig it can be a performance or speaking gig where you're like oh my god that was just so awful i want to forget all about it has that happened to you it happened yesterday and it's going to happen tomorrow <laughs> 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 yeah. no we're full of self-doubt, aren't we? I mean, I don't know what, 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 how we, we were made like that way, but self-doubt is something. But that's not a bad thing, isn't it? It's good to be critical. I think it's good to be critical. Going back to my teaching, I always remember when a student would come in for a, like a, a, a critique of their work on a, a, at the end of a project, if they started off by saying, I really love what I did here, I knew it would be not very good at all. 
I really knew that. And it would be, lo and behold, it's like, God, he's all. And then if somebody came and they said, oh, oh, do you know what? I really think I could have done better on this. I didn't get the right. The the work was excellent. So I don't know. What does that tell you? I don't know. What does it tell How did you know? What what did you think? Why was it a clue if they thought it was good? Just because it was like they inflated or what what was it about it? That's a very profound question. Because they're not being critical. They're not digging deep into themselves and being critical of their own work. They're afraid to do it. If you're not prepared to be critical, you're not going to move forward. And I think that's not that's a generalism in anything you do, I think, really. So I, right, I think it's I'm good to be critical is what I'm saying. It's good, but not over-critical. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually. So so I talk about something called the creator and the critic. And I think I think there's two things that you're saying. They say, what if I'm always suggesting people keep those two sides of us sort of mind separate so that because quite often if people have that critic and they go into rehearsals for a talk or go onto a stage and take the critic with them, that's when problems can occur because they start, they can be in the middle of the talk and start second guessing if that voice is going off. But I think the other thing that you're mm. saying is that I think we've always got to be open to growth and development and that we haven't got things sorted, you know, like 100%, because there's always, yeah. always room for growth and improvement. And I think when we close that door, yes. that's yes. when things start to slide. Exactly right, Sarah. When you're there to do the gig, you've got to be there to do the gig. You've got to be present and you've got to do it. And you've got to, and whatever self-doubt you have, you've got to put those aside and go for it. But post the gig, you want to look at it and think, what could I have done better? What, which, which, what worked? What didn't work? Yeah, absolutely. Keeping them very separate. Cool. Okay. Um, what's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Um, okay. I, I'm not, I don't read fiction. I'm not very good at reading fiction, even though I have read quite a bit. But the book that has made a big difference for me, and I'm reading it at the moment and read it several times, is a book about a Japanese philosophy that I've just discovered, which I'm sure everybody knows. I've only just discovered it, called Ikigai. You're the second person that's mentioned. Oh, maybe I think it was you that told me about this. Tell, ah. tell us a bit more. Yeah. Ikigai is a Japanese philosophy to get a, a wholesome and heartfelt life, to get you know, to get a rewarding life. And it's what I like about it, it's really simple. And it's it's got four tenets to it, four sides to it. A, you do what you love. B, you do it well. C, it's got value. And D, you get paid for it. That's it. That is basically what Ikigai is and all the books are all about. That sums it up really very succinctly. But you've got to get a balance in between all four of them. You can't just think, oh, I'm doing, I'm, I'm really good at this, but I'm not getting paid for it. You've got to get the balance of all four have got to be aligned. And I, I've only just recently come across it, but I've sort of led my life in that way and always thought myself as being a bit of an outsider and a bit, but why do I, you know, but now I look at it and think, oh, there's a reason for it. I should have been Japanese. Like that. So, Ikigai, Ikigai, who wrote that book? There's various books out there you can get. On, I, ah. I can't. I, I've got the. It's downstairs. The book. I can't. Remember. Basically, it's a philosophy. So it's it's it comes right. From, I'm with you. Yeah. But I also like the word actually, Ikigai. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's it's a good word. It's a good word. Okay. Um. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever had, and why? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. That's the hardest question you've asked me. So I'm saying I'm not very good at business. Oh, let me see. Business advice. Oh, okay. Okay. I know. And it's not advice. It's what I formulated myself. And it's uh, just turn up. Cool. In other words, don't say no. 
turn up, do your best job, and something good will always come out of it. All right, that that's nice and simple. That's good. Yeah, just, excellent. I think you've got to be, you've got to be it's very easy in this day of the YouTube, isn't it? To sit, I see loads of go back to the music, loads of YouTube videos of amazing musicians sitting at home playing their guitar. And you think, well, okay, that's all very well and good, but why don't you go and do a gig and get out of there and turn up? Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Okay, last question then. If you could choose any mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Okay, a name just came into my head, and it's uh, Paul Smith. Okay. The clothes designer. A, because I'm a massive fan of Paul Smith, the clothes, and I love wearing his clothes. I think he's brilliant what he does. But he's, he's an older gentleman like myself, a little bit older than me. But whenever I was seeing him being interviewed, he's just so full of life and so full of energy and so full of wisdom. I think to be mentored by Paul Smith would be amazing. I love he's that. We've never had that before. He's also oh, a is photographer. He? Yes, yes. A cyclist, um, photographer. Um, so he's got we've got a lot in common. So if, if yeah. you're out there, Paul, if you listen to the show. You know where I am. <laughs> Marcus <laughs> wants to have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about all things photography. Now, is there anything you think you need to say to the audience in order to call this show complete? Um, well, obviously, it's business, isn't it, Sarah? I guess. So I love working with motivational speakers. So if there's any people out there who are looking to get their branding photography done, please get in touch. Without being too forward, I think that would be a nice way to, for me to no, end on. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and let's talk about where they can find you. So yes. where, where's the best place for them to, to go? Is it a website? Are you on LinkedIn? Where should they go? LinkedIn is where you find me most of the time operating on there. There's obviously lots of different pl platforms. I'm on Instagram as well. But LinkedIn is where I'm most functional. Let's just say that. So, And also, I've got a very unique name, Marcus, A-H-M-A-D, Marcus Ahmad. I think I am the only Marcus Ahmad in the world. So um, you can find me quite easily. Excellent. Well, we'll put the link to the, in the show notes uh, you. to your uh, LinkedIn profile and also link to your website, which is marcusahmad.com, isn't it? Correct. Most certainly. Perfect. Yes. Smashing, Marcus. Well, thank you thank so you. much. Um, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, thanks for sharing all those great tips with us today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you much for inviting me to the show and being on it. Totally enjoyed it. Well, I don't know about you, but there was definitely some ahas for me in that interview. Uh, what did you think? Marcus has certainly been around the photography block. And I, I love the aspirational approach that he takes in photographing speakers and the other great tips that he he shared and uh, yeah so go and have a look at his website there are some great blogs that take you deeper into the world of brand photography and what you need to consider and do go and say hi to him on LinkedIn if something he said resonated with you now also don't forget to go and visit sararcher.co.uk and check out all the resources there. You've got your snackable story challenge. You've got your straight to the top pitching book, uh, plus uh, other stuff as well. And there is also a way to grab your spot on the next masterclass uh, that I'll be doing in November, where I'll be sharing my six step blueprint for creating talks that sell without selling. Thank you so much again for joining me. If you do enjoy the show, if you're a regular listener or if you're a first time listener that thought, yeah, 
fancy hearing more about this, really got value out of that, then please do share about The Speaking Club. And if you wouldn't take two minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC, that would be amazing. Or you can do it on the platform that you're listening to the show on. So that's it from me. I'll be back next week for a very special episode. I'll see you then. In the meantime, you know what I'm going to say. Go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon. So to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.